Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. At that time, I was just trying to figure out what life was all about and why what was happening to me was happening. Like sort of like that question we asked, you know, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? So those were the questions I was asking. And I figured that I needed to go internal and meditate and see if I can figure that out while I was going through all of this. So for me, it was about finding the answers to life. Uh, stress management, I mean, it was so crazy in that time. that I, I, I was, I didn't even know what, what to think. So for me, it was about finding answers like why such, why, how, how and why could such drastic changes happen in someone's life who didn't seem to deserve them? So for me at that time, that's what mindfulness was like, finding answers to something that just didn't make sense about life. Welcome to Context and Clarity, the place where authors, experts, and thought leaders come to have engaged conversations with entrepreneurial architects just like you. I'm Jeff Eccles, and every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet have a conversation with a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. In this episode, we talk with Pandit Dasa, the urban monk. Let me introduce our guest for today. Our guest today is a former monk, a keynote speaker, and an authority on the future of work, resilience, mindfulness, and mental health. He's the author of both Urban Monk, Exploring Karma, Consciousness, and the Divine, and Closing the Apps, How to Be Mindful at Work and at Home. Pandit Dasa, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much, Jeff. Very, very happy to be here. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. And to give everybody a little bit of backstory, last week, I guess it was still last week, 
I moderated a panel discussion for a mentoring program. And at the very beginning of that program, Pandit joined us to talk about mindfulness and then take us through a guided meditation. And that had a big impact on me. That really resonated the way that you talked about mindfulness and the importance of it and then took us through that meditation I thought was was uh, really impactful. And so I, you know, I immediately reached out to the organizers of that event and said, hey, I, I need to connect with Pandit because I think, you know, if we can expand this conversation from that group, that mentorship program, which is a fantastic program, to an even wider audience of architects, I think we can really, really make some waves here in the profession, especially with uh, small business owners, small firm owners here. So I really, I'm glad that we were able to connect and I'm really happy that you're here today. I mentioned in the uh, in the intro that you're a former monk. So I want to know a little bit more about how one becomes an urban monk and then what happens after that. So can you give us a little bit of, of the journey to becoming a monk and specifically an urban monk? Yeah. So you know, becoming a monk, it's not something I think anyone ever plans to become a nun. I don't okay. think you can ask, I think, um, 10 million kids. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm not sure if any one of them is going to say a monk or a nun. I I just don't think that's something that comes out of their mouth, uh, right? It's not even on the radar. And the last thing the parents want their kids to become too. So (laughs) it also wasn't, yeah, living in poverty is not like the goal of life, I think. So uh, (laughs) living in renunciation. (laughs) So the way it happened, again, like I said, it wasn't planned. A lot of different events led up to a certain mindset, which made me want to explore that lifestyle. It okay. wasn't just one thing. And what were those events? So I'll quickly go through them. So I grew up in Southern California in LA. My parents migrated from India to the US in 19 with little to no money. One of the first things they did was set up a small shop on Venice Beach, California, selling gift items. And everything, you know, life was difficult. They were working seven days a week, nonstop. I was seven years old, just running around Venice Beach, exploring <laughs> the US, exploring whatever Venice Beach had to offer. And within a matter of about eight years, my parents were able to establish a multi-million dollar jewelry business. How it grew, I don't know. I was really young, but a lot of hard work. And also, I think just a lot of luck also. Right, right things happened at the right time. So we began living the American dream much faster than we expected to. And so everything was great. Got a beautiful, massive house on the hills of Los Angeles, the pool, a jacuzzi, a waterfall, like the whole works, right? Yeah. One all out. Things were great for a while. Then in 1992, 1993, my parents' jewelry factory during a heavy rainstorm actually burnt down. And we lost everything, right? From nothing to everything and back down to nothing. So going back down to nothing is really hard after you've had that. And so at that time, my dad's deciding, trying to figure out what to do next. So he decides to explore new business opportunities in post-communist Bulgaria. Okay, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> no one does. <laughs> that's, why it, that's why the story is interesting. <laughs> so we we pack up, we leave LA behind for good with very little left, go to post-communist Bulgaria in 1993. Now, what to give you an idea what post-communist Bulgaria was like at that time, no one spoke English, first of all. Everything on TV was either in Bulgarian or Russian. All the movie theaters had movies from the U.S. that were like five or seven years old, because I think during the communist regime, nothing was allowed in. And all of my entertainment basically came to a halt. I had no friends there. I didn't speak the language. There was no internet. 
And even making an international phone call couldn't be done from the local phone at home. You had to walk to a post office to make that call. So about 50 years behind in technologies where I, I went, you know, I jumped in a time machine and went back 50 years. That's kind of what happened. And, but it was that time when my life had turned upside down. Life was very difficult. You know, I was confused, anxious, a little depressed, just all of those things that come with such a sudden move to such a foreign place. I started to practice mindfulness at that time. Meditation was familiar to me because I'd seen my parents do it. Coming from India, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of part of the culture. And so I'd seen them do it. So I did it also. And it really helped me deal with the craziness that we were going through. And at that, then we spent two years in Bulgaria. And because it was so unstable, we didn't feel very safe there. So we left and came back to the U.S., this time to the East Coast. And my parents set up a small business in New York City, helped them with that a little. Then in 1999, I finally decided I needed to take a break from life and just press the pause button and try to figure out what, where my life is going, what I want to do and how I want to live. So I decided to go to India to live in a monastery. Catherine, did you see that one coming? <laughs> yeah, that's a little more. Uh, that's not as surprising. <laughs> okay, all right. From the East Coast to India. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. But Bulgaria that's- just seemed like it was out of the blue from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here I am, I fly off to Mumbai, India, and here I am living with 40 monks. Everybody sleeps on a hardwood floor with a really thin straw mat. There's no cushioning. No one has a mattress. No one has a bed. No one has their own room. It's just two big common spaces and everybody just sleeps there. Same thing with the bathrooms. They're all common. Everybody wakes up at four in the morning. Meditation starts at five, goes on for several hours, and the rest of the day is spent serving one another, cleaning, cooking, serving the community. It's a life of simplicity, humility, and service. And to my own surprise, I started really, that lifestyle started to grow on me, fell in love with that lifestyle. Thought I'd spend a month in India, but I ended up spending six months there in different monasteries. Flew back, moved into a monastery in New York City on the Lower East Side. Thought I'd spend six months there. And you know, Lower East Side, it's a very interesting place. On the same block, on the same street, like literally the same block of our monastery, you could find right next door to us us with a tattoo shop, like right next door. And then a few, three bars, restaurant bars across the street, a pizza shop, funeral home, bagel shop, and a laundromat. All on what? Basically one block and the monastery. Wow, everything you could need, right? All of life in one All of life, (laughs) A bagel, a tattoo shop, a monastery, and of yeah. course, very importantly, the funeral home is there too. <laughs> beginning of life to the end of life, it's all covered. Mm-hmm. So the and it's funny thing is that the, the funeral home was literally, a, if you walked out of our door and walked straight across the street, go into the funeral home, <laughs> it was <laughs> So anyways, that's how, those are some of the major life events that led me to that life. And then 15, about nine years. And I spent 15 years living as a monk in New York. And during that time, I did a lot of lecturing on college campuses like Columbia University, New York University, and traveled around the country on college campuses, speaking on mindfulness, meditation, work-life balance. Then about nine years ago, I left the monastic life and have been speaking in organizations globally on workplace culture and mindfulness and mental health. So you mentioned when you were young, you you had seen your parents meditate and you, you had, you said you, when you were in Bulgaria, you'd started to practice mindfulness when you, how old were you at that point? 21. Okay. So you're 21. What did practicing mindfulness mean 
to a Southern California kid that had moved to Bulgaria that's 21 years old, what does mindfulness mean to you at that point? What's, what's that look like and feel like? At that time, I was just trying to figure out what life was all about and why what was happening to me was happening. Like sort of like that question we asked, why do, um, you know, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? So those were the mm-hmm. questions I was asking. Okay. And I figured that I needed to go internal and meditate and see if I can figure that out okay. while I was going through all of this. So for me, it was about finding the answers to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, stress management, I mean, it was so crazy in that time. that I, 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 was, I didn't even know what, what to think. So for me, it was about finding answers like why such, why, how, how and why could such drastic changes happen in someone's life who didn't seem to deserve them? So for me at that time, that's what mindfulness was, like finding answers to something that just didn't make sense about life. Okay. Okay. And so you fast forward about another 20 years and now, now 20 years later, maybe you're, you're getting ready to leave the monastery. I don't know if I have the dates exactly right, but you're getting ready to leave the monastery in New York. What, what does mindfulness mean to you at that point? So I think the kind of mind, the mindfulness can be very broad in how it's practiced. Sure, yeah. It can be very broad. The way I teach it is extremely secular, all sort of science-based, showing how it can be helpful for people and the way they reduce their stress, help people become more thoughtful, have develop more empathy, have more emotional intelligence. So the way I teach it is is quite different to the way I personally practice it, which is a little bit more spiritual. Okay. So I also have the secular components to my practice. A large portion of it is because I lived in a monastery, right? And that it's, it's, it, it, it's very deeply rooted in spirituality. Like what, what, the, what does that even mean? It means really trying to go within, trying to understand who I am and what my purpose is, like who I am beyond the material shell that I see when I look in the mirror, like what's really running the show inside. Sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so kind of like Neo in the matrix, that, that sort of a thing. Is this, now you're talking. <laughs> am I in the matrix or am I out of the matrix? How do I get out of the matrix? So that's what I mean. By spiritual, that the practice was geared towards discovering sort of like the matrix we're living in and how to get out. In, in, the, in core organizations, and what I led for the session that I did with you the last week was, is more about managing stress, managing our emotion, and learning to breathe during difficult situations so we can stay calm and focused, right? So it's more on that side. My personal side is a little different because the focus is, some, is, is more internal and sort of understanding my place in the world. Speaking of last week, I mean, one of the things that you talked about, and, and this is your second book, I believe, the Closing the Apps, you talked about, you used that analogy of closing the apps. And I mean, that that I thought was was a great illustration. I thought that was a great analogy. Can, can, you, can you just share that analogy? What, what do you, whether it's, you know, getting into the, the book itself or what, is, what does that idea mean? But what does it mean to close these things down? And then what does that do for us once we've closed them down? So I like to compare the mind to a smart device. And I sure. know we all have too many of these right here, right? We've got them. And what, on a smartphone, when you have too many apps open, basically it slows it down and it drains the battery. It just yep. doesn't function as good as it should. Right. Now, the mind being like a smart device, how many apps are open in our mind right now? I don't know if people are welcome to put in an answer if they want, but 
I think there's a lot of apps open in our mind at any given time. Yeah. And if we don't learn to close out those apps, what's going to happen? Like we're going to make mistakes when we have too much on our mind, right? We've all had the experience where you're, you're holding your keys and you're like, man, what did I right? And you feel so crazy at the end thinking, my gosh, I hope nobody saw that. I'd lose, I'd lose my job and all my friends if, if anybody saw what I just did. <laughs> or leave your coffee mug on top of the car and you start driving down. <laughs> right? So uh, I've done all of these things, even though I practice mindfulness, even though I wasn't. Okay? I got to admit it. So if we can learn to close out the apps up here, just imagine how much stress we could from our own life. Because a lot of our stress is self-induced. It's generated by ourselves in our mind because we live in our minds most of the time. We're thinking and planning and coming up with all kinds of strange scenarios. We we replay negative things that have happened to us unnecessarily over and over again. I'm sure we've all done this where we maybe had an argument with someone and then we started to all of a sudden replay that argument in our head 30 minutes later, arguing with ourselves in our head back and forth between what they said and what I said and what they said. And then we try to add new dialogue into that uh, replay, how we could have said it better, right? So, so much time is wasted, energy is wasted just by the mind running around like wild. And it's just app after app after app, or we start coming up with the worst case scenarios about the future. Future is out of our control. All we can do is prepare for it and then hope for the best. Plan and prepare and hope. That's it, right? That's the formula, (laughs) right? So that's all we can do. But we worry ourselves to a point where we lose sleep about what tomorrow holds. No one knows. And so if we can remind ourselves to close the apps and not do all of that, then we actually save ourselves a lot of mental and emotional energy, give ourselves more clarity, and just be more peaceful. Through And it's not easy to close out the apps, but at least we can start trying. And then gradually we get better at it. We catch ourselves when we're having a useless thought and say, wait, why am I having this? Let me get rid of this right now. Close it out. Breathe it out. Let it go. So. That's what I like to do, compare the mind to a smart device. I love that analogy because if I, and because I identified completely with, you know, you're talking about the past and the future and, and when I cut the grass or shovel the snow or whatever, I'm replaying, I'm doing, I'm going through the coulda, shoulda, woulda about this argument or this conversation or whatever. And then I'm getting ready to go to this and I'm imagining worst case scenarios, you know, at the, uh, at Thanksgiving dinner or something like that. Right. So that. <laughs> That resonated with me a million percent, both of those. And so I I like that analogy, but what happens when we shut all those apps down, then what does that allow us to do with the smart device? You know, I guess technically it frees up memory, memory that can be used, you know, um, you know, for other functions and so on and so forth. But, but what does that mean for us functionally as human beings um, wh- whether it's, you know, whether it's at home or at work or whatever, I don't know what the context is, but, but what does that mean when we've got those shut down? Well, basically you leave open the apps that you just really need at that time, right? So imagine you're driving a long distance and your phone's running out of battery. You want to close out as many apps as possible. So your GPS can keep running, <laughs> right? So when we close out all the stuff we don't need and really then It'll help us get to our destinations. And what, what does that all mean? So if we're having a conversation with someone, face-to-face conversation or a virtual conversation, and your mind is planning all kinds of stuff, we're not even listening to what they're saying. We can't 
be thinking about other stuff and deeply listen to what others are saying. So at a workplace, that's crucial. We could be missing what they're saying because we're coming up with a response or we're planning the future or we're thinking about the argument we had an hour ago and yet we're trying to talk to a colleague. Same thing at home. We can't be as attentive and present and mindful if we're distracted in our head, right? So a wandering mind, we all have a wandering mind syndrome. (laughs) That's what we have. And so closing out the apps, you know, and new apps will keep opening. But you can't train yourself to just come right back into the present. Say, look, I'm staying with this conversation. I notice your mind go off to the grocery store. No, come right back here because this person's in front of me. Now you're thinking, oh, this is the route I want to take to walk my dog. No, I'm going to stay right here right now. We're going to go on that route later. It's like a practice. It's like a to the mind. Another uh, way I like to describe the mind is like a, a new, like a puppy. You, a puppy is not going to walk straight. It's going to be like here and here and here and here. That's what our mind's like. We've got a puppy in here. Just never train the puppy. And that seems critically important. You, you're talking about work colleagues, which makes complete sense. And there are certainly those in our audience who that resonates with, you know, their employees or their colleagues, whoever those people are. But I think taking it even further, because I, I think one of the things that's uh, crucial about professional services Uh, professions like architecture or attorneys or, you know, whoever, whatever the professional service is, is hearing, listening deeply, as you said, developing empathy and understanding for our clients. And it seems to me that what you're talking about would be critical for this as well. You know, it's, it's really hard for me to serve my clients at this level. If I'm, if I'm thinking about the grocery store, the walking, the puppy, the, all of those things, seems like I could, I could, connect better and, uh, and, and, and be a better service provider, if I can say it that way, if I'm, if I'm present, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And people can tell when we're not present. People can tell. I mean, I've had this experience where I'm having a face-to-face conversation with someone and my mind has wandered off for like a good like 20 seconds mm-hmm. or like 10 seconds. And then you reach a moment of panic, like... If they ask me a question right now, I am not going to be able to answer because those 10 seconds, you know, it's like driving at 80 miles an hour in 10 seconds, you go a long distance. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, people can tell if we're not present. And so we just need to practice being present and it's a, it's a lifetime of practice. Don't expect it to just you start today and next week we're going to be present. No, the mind just, the mind disappears into another thought before us even knowing it. We realize we're in the middle of a thought 30 seconds into it. We didn't even realize. It's like getting off the highway and not realizing you took, like that means your car just drifted off. So our mind, we have to understand it is very much on autopilot, but we got to take control of the mind, not in a bad or harsh way, but we just got to, you don't want somebody else you know, we're not sure if a full self-driving mode is a healthy thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the least least mindful thing ever when you arrive somewhere and think, how did I get here? I don't remember driving here. Yeah, that's not good. So so you're talking about this practice. You're talking about training the puppy that's that's in your mind. How do you go about doing that? Several ways. One is one simple practice that we can all do if we want to start training the puppy is as you go through the day, here's a fun exercise we can all do. As you go through the day, Anytime you catch your mind 
drifting off to something that if you're driving and you realize you're thinking of something else, at least catch yourself like, wow, I was just thinking about that. And, and then the second question to ask is, how relevant was that to what I'm doing right now? And then you'll realize most of the time, it's not even that relevant. What, whatever we're thinking of, it's just the random stuff. So first, what happens is when we do this exercise and just try to do it on an everyday basis, whenever you're doing something and your mind just, you know, eating a sandwich and your mind's just like, whatever, <laughs> it was like, okay, wow, how did it go there? Like, how did I go from eating my sandwich to remembering my favorite 80s? I know. How does that happen? Do you have any idea or are you just sort of wondering? How that happens? I mean, there is, it's everything gets stored in the mind. The mind is the biggest hard drive around. Like the amount of data it can store is phenomenal. I don't think there's actually any, and I don't think there's any limit to the cloud storage that's up here. <laughs> right? I just and it's think, free. Yeah, it's, a, it's totally limitless. <laughs> yeah. And so when it decides to pull something up, I have no idea. Maybe that sandwich is a sandwich that you ate when you were in the 80s listening to that music. And we don't know how, what, what it's doing in there, how the wiring is all connected. But Anyways, going back to the point is like when you catch yourself just as a fun activity, notice that you're doing that and then bring it back and just keep practicing this when you're driving, when you're walking, when you're working, notice it like, wow, I do. A, this happens all the time. And you'll be amazed as to how much there was an interesting article in psychology today that said an average person has between 25,000 and 50,000 thoughts per day. Wow. Is that good or bad? It's a lot of thoughts. It's, it's just a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so that's 1,000 to 2,000 thoughts per hour, right? That's, that's what it's averaging. So mm. it's, a, it's an incredibly busy place. Within every few seconds, it'll just run off to something. And most of the time, we're not even aware that it's doing it. So first is becoming aware. And then second is including some mindfulness practice, the breathing and focusing, because they help us to focus the mind. They help us to strengthen the mind. So these breathing and focusing techniques one way is you can think of them as taking your mind to the gym, the gym for the mind. You're training it to be more in the present moment. And it doesn't mean that we're always forcing our mind to be in the present because there's times when you're relaxing and the mind's just wandering and it needs to decompress too. Let it wander. When you're relaxed, taking it easy after the work on the weekend and the mind just, okay, let it. Let the, let the dog run free in the fields for a while. <laughs> I, love the, I love this analogy. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm hearing a lot of them out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Something for everyone to relate to, I hope. So, you know, gotta let gotta let the dog run for you once in a while, right? Yeah. And so, and that's okay. But when we need it, we have that training to make the mind more focused and present. So we can do whatever we're doing more effectively. So those breathing techniques can help. You know, it could be a minute, two minutes, five minutes a day, something or another. Or some what I like to say is why not do like a minute of breathing exercises several times in a day? When we do something several times, what happens is your mind remembers that, hey, I need to do this. It becomes a habit. Like, oh, I just had this rough meeting. I think I'm going to take three minutes or two minutes and just take a few deep breaths before going into whatever I'm going to do next. Even if I show up a minute late for my next meeting, at least I'll show up a little bit more calm. Otherwise, I'm going to bring all this, you know, garbage with me and this, this anger or frustration from the previous interaction, I'm going to bring it with me. So better I show up a little more relaxed than to show up on time and all frustrated because I'm not going to be able to hear anyone anyways at that point, or it's going to be really hard. So doing it a minute or two 
several times a day. This is how I like to prescribe it, sort of. Did you already describe that and I wasn't listening? Or did you um, just talk about it last week with Jeff? Those <laughs> breathing exercises, because I didn't hear it. I must have been maybe thinking of something else, or maybe you didn't say exactly what it was. When you're talking about breathing exercises, what are they? What are, what are some breathing exercises that you like? So I like to start by just taking deep breaths. And when I say deep breaths, like really filling up your lungs with each inhalation. Like breathe slowly. And you know whoever's on the line now, you can do it right now. Breathe in such a way that you, your lungs, keep inhaling until your lungs are filled. And when you think, oh, they're filled, actually, there's a little more space. Take and keep going. And then it also helps strengthen the lungs because you're really expanding them. And when you exhale, exhale thoroughly and completely empty out your lungs. And to stay present, try your best to stay focused on the breathing exercise. That's it. Just breathe. Now, if, now if you start thinking of your next meeting, again, say, ah, I'll go back to that in a moment. Right now I'm breathing. Come back, keep breathing. And each time you breathe in, see if you can take in a little bit more oxygen than the previous time because your lungs have had a chance to expand, right? So just doing five or 10 of these deep breaths, you'll be amazed as how much more calm and relaxed we feel like. What do we tell someone who's panicking or stressed? Hey, take a breath, take a deep breath. Because it's also, there's also research showing that this deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, where you get your whole diaphragm involved, it actually regulates our emotions and our blood pressure. So that's something you can do at your desk. You can do it while driving your car. Just keep your eyes open, right? (laughs) Preferably. Yeah, so you can do it almost anytime you want to. You don't have to put on a yoga outfit to do that. You could be at your desk, just go outside, wherever, in a conference room. Just take some deep breaths and you'll see that it helped you calm down a little and just gave you a little bit of mental peace so that you can keep working and keep doing what you're doing. What we do with Context and Clarity is we find out who our guest is going to be for Thursday. Obviously, today that's you and what we're going to be talking about. And then we shape an entire week of conversations around that as a theme, if you will. And so we we Monday, we start out by talking about positivity. And, and Tuesday, uh, I don't remember <laughs> what we talked about. Yesterday, we talked about resilience. And to me, what you're describing right now, you know, I'm, I'm picturing you're talking about filling the lungs up and you can fill them more and you expand them and you're training them. This really does sound like training of all types, you know, whether we're into athletics or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's this, um, constant cycle of pushing myself, you know, to some limit and then coming back and pushing myself again and getting better at it, better at it. And what we've talked about in terms of resilience is that 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 must be a part of resilience, the ability to, I don't know if if it's absorb it or whatever, but train myself to take the breath, calm myself and then come back from that. Is is that, are these exercises that you're talking about and the mindfulness that you're talking about, are those keys to the resilience that we need to overcome the stress, the change, all of these things that we face as, as uh, small business owners? Yeah. I mean, so resilience, the way I see it, it's like our ability to bounce back from a setback. Okay. Right. Like a spring, you squeeze it together and you let it go. Boom. It bounces back. Right. So I feel like that's resilience. And in order for us to bounce back, we need the right frame of mind. 
if we don't have the right frame of mind, when we've experienced a setback, then you could just be, oh, woe is me. And why is this happening to me? And I can't, I can't do this anymore. Right. So, and maybe there are certain things we can't do. Anymore. But what I think mindfulness will help us do is at least what it does for me, it helps me see the bigger picture in life. Like, okay, this thing is happening right now, but there's a lot, it's not the end of my life. It's not the end of the world. Because sometimes when we have a problem, we become so immersed in this, we can't see anything else. And what I like to do is when I go through something painful and difficult, and I've had my fair share of those, I try to remember and I try to meditate on the things in my life that are going right at that moment. And I, and I feel grateful for those things. And I'm like, wow, this really isn't working out, but I'm so grateful for this and this and this. And, and the more you think you're like, my gosh, I'm grateful for like a dozen things right now. There's a dozen things that are going at least decent or good or great right now. And then I break out of that sort of immersion into that setback. Mm-hmm. step back and you're able to see the bigger picture and everything about you is just changed. You're like, okay, that's not working out. I need to either do something different, work harder at it, get some help, do something about it. But I've got all these other things that are going great or going decently. Right? So I think this is a big part of mindfulness practice is to be able to step back, take a bigger look at life, look at the bigger picture and also feel grateful. That's another huge part of the mindfulness practice is feeling grateful. Gratitude is such an amazing way to shift our mindset from the negative to the positive. And so I think that is how we also build resilience, that these techniques give us the ability, the strength to say, okay, now I'm going to bounce back with the right mindset. That's starting to connect the dots for me. I don't know about anybody else, but that's starting to connect the dots. You've mentioned uh, meditation. Going going back to when, when you were in Bulgaria, and starting to meditate, you'd seen your parents do it. Let, let's let's start really basic. What does meditation mean? What is meditation? So I think it can have a few different meanings. Uh, and as time goes on, the meanings will continue to adapt and grow and expand. So at least for me, meditation means a couple of things. One is that if we are meditating, right, those who are meditating, and people do it for many reasons. One is, I think it should help us discover our true nature and purpose okay. in life. I really think it should if we're, if we're doing it on a deep level. And secondly, it should help us become better human beings, right? Like We should be growing, meaning that, and if we want to be growing, that is, each year we should be evolving into a, a, a higher level of a human being. Maybe more kindness, more gratitude, more forgiveness, more compassion, more selflessness. Like these are, this is how we should be evolving through meditation. And all of those things can translate into the workplace. 100%. You become a better human being, you'll attract better human beings into your business. We attract what we become. If we become these things, you'll attract partners and colleagues and coworkers and clients who also share those values because people we naturally gravitate towards the kind of mindset we have. So meditation can help us become these things, develop these qualities. As a result, I think it'll improve our business and it'll also improve our family life. So if there's kids in the house, they see parents 
becoming grateful, kinder. I mean, that's the best thing we can do for them. That's what they're learning. That's what they're absorbing in. And that's what they're going to put out into the world when we send them out there. So I, that's how I would answer the question, like, what is meditation? It's, it's a tool of growth. I just realized, I mean, we're, we're screaming towards the top of the hour here. <laughs> so how do we put this into practice, right? When, when we, when you're thinking about all these entrepreneur architects out here who, I mean, we could, we could frame them as small business owners that happen to be architects. When we think about the meditation, which is, which is helping us grow and level up um, in, in our, our human being and our human experience, we can think about, about mindfulness. We can think about all these breathing exercises. Is there a prescription, right? Is there some way that you, you tell somebody, Hey, you know, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. I mean, I understand what small business owners go through, but try this. Uh, I'm sure it's a case by case basis, but is there a, sort of a, like a baseline practice that we could all start with and start use that as a platform to move up from there? I, th I have a feeling I'm going to end up repeating myself, but I think for any starting entrepreneur, again, having just starting off with a mood of gratitude that having a chance to start a business, having a ch having an opportunity to pursue my dream, that in itself is huge because how many people on the planet actually get a chance to even do that, right? I think that that's a really good point because one of the things that I've realized in this community is that you know, obviously everybody's different and everybody, you know, I say starts their own thing, you know, does their own thing, but the, the, and they have different reasons for that. But the common thread that I see running through here is that probably everybody that is in the audience right now, or they're watching the replay later, they say, I want to be able to practice, meaning practice architecture, I guess, in this context, but I want to be able to practice architecture in my own way, which means integrating my life with my kids and, and, and my family or in my community or whatever that means to them. I think that's the, I want to be able to practice in my own way. And I, I, that's where I think this, you know, what you just said and the parallels here are really strong. Yeah. And I think everyone will have their own way of doing it. Yeah. Right. And it's great to be able to do it with your family as well, <laughs> yeah. right? Having the whole family do it. But yeah, I think there's going to be, we can find our own ways to do it, our own places to do it, the length of time we want to do it. I think these are all very flexible, but I, you know, going back to the idea, like as business owners, I think the baseline is just starting off with that idea that I'm having a great opportunity to pursue my dreams. I'm going to do the best I can. And then we see what happens, yeah. right? Just even the opportunity itself in itself is a gift. Where that goes, it's okay. I tried my best. And to be satisfied with the outcome, especially if, you've, if we have given it our best shot. I think that's really great advice. Like I said, we started out the week talking about positivity. How do you stay positive? And I, you know, we, we talked about expectations and perceptions, but I, what you just described, what you just said um, I, I think really hits that nail on the head. We have the opportunity, you know, those of us that are that are in this community and, and are figuring out how to do this. Um, we have this opportunity and, and we need to be uh, we need to be grateful for that. And, and uh, starting from that point of view, I think really sets the table, sets us up for uh, 
for something to build on, I guess, is what I'm trying to say there. There are so many more things. There's so much we could dig into, which I would love to dig into. But uh, we have to be mindful, if I can say that. We have to be mindful of the time. Pandit, where where do you want people to go to connect with you? So I think the best place is probably my website called PanditDasa.com. And uh, on my website, you can find my both of my books. One's called Closing the Apps. The other's called Urban Monk, Exploring Karma, Consciousness, and the Divine. That's the whole story on how I became a monk. The different speeches I give at corporations are listed there. There's lots of short videos of me talking about mindfulness and gratitude on my website. So there's a lot of different, there's a lot of material there. And then LinkedIn is something I'm very active on as well. So if people have a question they didn't have a chance to ask uh, today, you can message me on LinkedIn and find my profile pretty easily. And so, yeah, or through my website, but LinkedIn is better for questions. But yeah, those are the two ways that we can connect. And, you know, people can also follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Pandit Dasa. So I post on there pretty much every day. So these are the different channels people can use to connect with me. Yeah, I appreciate that. And and I'll second what Pandit was just saying, because it's, uh, you know, again, I, I appreciate you being here. And uh, our serendipitous connection last week is fantastic. And, and the ability to communicate with you like this has been has been great. Again, there there are a lot of there's a lot that w- that we left untouched here. I would encourage everybody to f- first of all definitely connect with Pandit on uh, LinkedIn, but go over to his website and just start exploring. There's a lot of really great information there. Uh, I've been combing through it this past week and and uh, used it to help shape our our week of topics and and just learning more. So uh, I would I would go over there and check that out. And um, and connect with Pandit, ask him some more questions. And uh, I, I think these topics uh, that we've been covering this week are things that we need, right? It's We talk about this broad umbrella of the business of architecture, taking care of yourself, your mind, your body, your spirit, your family, all of these things. Uh, I, I group those under that umbrella because if, if you can't do that, if you can't take care of yourself, there's no way you can take care of your business. So so, Panda, thank you very much for this conversation. I appreciate you being here and, and everything that you've shared. It's, uh, it's definitely things that we, we need to dig even deeper into. Thank you so much, Jeff and Catherine. Thank you for having me part of this conversation. It was a great conversation. I'm glad we could go a little deeper on this conversation. Well, what do you think? Did you hear something in this conversation that you can use, maybe in your practice or even in your life? If the topic of this conversation is of particular interest to you, every week in the Entree Architect Network, I host the Context and Clarity Classroom. It's our weekly opportunity to take what we've learned from our special guests and put those lessons into action in your life and in your work. Find the Context and Clarity Classroom exclusively inside the Entree Architect Network at network.entrearchitect.com. And if you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to YouTube. Find the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. You can also have the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week. Just give us a rating and subscribe wherever you're listening right now. Your likes and your ratings and your shares all help us 
help other entrepreneur architects like you. And together, they help us build the largest worldwide community of small firm architects. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment. And it's the home of context and clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. So thanks for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to think about how you can build your business into something that allows you to practice the way that you want to practice.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.